Tonight we're going to look at the subject of the spirit who wants to destroy you. And uh, I know that's not an exciting title, um, but uh, I, I think that as we look at this, um, maybe over the next couple of weeks we can get a better understanding of the enemy and who he really is. You know, I, I often, when you talk about going to battle and you talk about trying to defeat something, typically what happens is, is that you study the enemy, you find out where their weaknesses are. You find out where their strengths are. You find out where you can get in and, and, and be able to overcome them. And so you look at basically a battle strategy. And that's what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is give you a battle strategy of how to understand and overcome uh, the enemy who literally does want to destroy us. But as I prayed and as you all know, that he cannot destroy us because uh, the Holy Spirit of God and God himself is more powerful than any being. And as we learned last week, um, the attributes of God and, and how powerful he really is. And so uh, tonight it's just uh, informative for us to understand who that enemy is that wants to destroy us. Does everybody have an outline? Anybody still need one? Are we good? All right, here we go, right at the top. They'll be on the screen too. In this world, there is a spirit whose sole purpose is to hurt and destroy us. He is the second most powerful being in all of creation. Do you understand that tonight? He is the second most powerful being in all creation. Who's the first? God. So, no matter what, he's always in second place. As I would like to say, he's the first loser. Amen? He, he, he is the second most powerful being in all of creation. The Bible most often calls him Satan. He hates God, but since God is much more powerful than he is, he cannot hurt God directly. Therefore, he hurts God indirectly by hurting people God loves. One of the uh, most uh, prevalent and, and uh, most studied book in the Bible when it comes to this, of course, is the book of what? Job, the book of Job. Uh, because uh, the enemy tried to attack Job and, and literally took everything that Job had. And even his wife told Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And uh, Job decided that he was not going to give in to the enemy. And so what, is, what does the enemy do? He, he attempts, because he knows he can't hurt God directly, he attempts to hurt God indirectly by hurting the people that God loves. Satan is more than the personification of evil. He is a real spiritual being. We must understand if we are to keep him from destroying God's plan for our life. He is a real being. The, the enemy is real. I want you to understand that tonight. It's important that that is the very foundation before we continue. You may have heard that it's just a fairy tale. You may have heard that he's not real. And, and, and why would God create something like the enemy uh, if God is love and all of those kind of things? Well, I want to tell you that the enemy is real. I also want to tell you that God is real. And God has always been and will always be. I also want you to understand that heaven is real. Because if there's a God of love and a God of mercy, he created a place called heaven. John chapter number 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, which is heaven, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
Thomas said, how can we know the way? Jesus said what? I am the way. That's right. Only, that's right, the truth and the life. Only to heaven. But I remind you, if there's a God, there's a heaven. If there's an enemy, there's a hell. And I want you just to understand, as we study these passages of Scripture and we talk about the spirit world, as we'll talk about the enemy, we'll also talk about, in uh, subsequent lessons, the demons, and we'll talk about the angels and all those kind of things, that hell is a real place. Hell was only designed for the enemy, Satan, and his demons. It was never intended for humankind. However, humankind, in their own free will, that have rejected Jesus Christ, there's only one or two places that you can go when you take your last breath here on earth, and that is either heaven or hell. And each one of us make that decision of whether or not we accept or we reject Christ. So he is a real spiritual being, and we must understand it if we are going to keep him from destroying God's plan for our lives. Understanding the spirit who wants to destroy you requires answering three questions. The first question is this. Who is he? Who is Satan? I know that typically when we do Bible studies over the past two years that I would always have you turn to a passage of Scripture and we'd read uh, verses and then we would uh, expound on them. In this study, it's a little bit different because we'll just grab verses as we go. They'll be on the screen. You can look them up. They'll be on your paper um, to reiterate what we're teaching. So number one, who is Satan? God loves us and has a delightful plan for each of our lives. The devil hates us and has destructive plans for our lives. God sent his son so we may have life and have it in super abundance, according to John chapter number 10 and verse number 10. I've come to that may have life and that they may have it more what? Abundantly. However, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, this is what Jesus says about Satan. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. So we have two totally different um, goals. We have God who wants us to have life and to have it more what? Abundantly. And then we have the enemy who, who really from the very beginning just wants to be a liar. And wants to tell us lies over and over and uh, to, to make it seem like that everything is okay, to make it seem like that it's better than what it is. And the truth of the matter is, is that it is, it is exactly what it is. My fear is, as a pastor, is that whenever I open my mouth and speak to a group of people, whether it's here on a Wednesday evening, whether it's on a Sunday morning, or whether I go speak somewhere else, that I ensure myself, before I ever get to any place to speak, that what I'm speaking is the truth because I never want anybody to leave and be, have the enemy be able to corrupt it into a lie. It's very important that it's spoken in such a way that it's understood and that we speak it in truth because the enemy wants nothing more than to twist our words into a lie to deceive people. And uh, by the way, he's done that in pulpits across America and I'm going to leave that right there. He speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan indirectly destroyed Adam and Eve spiritually by deceiving them, deceiving them into eating the forbidden fruit. Satan has not changed. He still wants to destroy every good thing in our lives, including our souls. However, if you're saved here tonight, he cannot get to your soul. Are you with me? 
If, if, if you're saved here tonight, he cannot get to your soul. I want you to, I want you to see something for a second. And it's very important that we understand this. We're going to talk about this more later. This may bring up a whirlwind of questions. But let me put it to you like this. Some people have asked me, Pastor, can a Christian be possessed? The answer to that question is no. Because the only person as a Christian that can possess me is who? The Holy Spirit, God. However, a Christian can be oppressed. They can be oppressed. They cannot be possessed. They can be oppressed. What does that word mean, Pastor? That means that Satan, uh, the enemy, can literally discourage us. He can depress us. He can tell us the things that we're doing wrong. He can eat at us, but he can never possess us. He can't. Because I'm only possessed by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He owns me. And by the way, when I get saved, there is absolutely nothing I can do to change that. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. No matter what mistakes I may make, no matter how I may feel, you understand that salvation is not emotional. It's not about a feeling. No matter how I feel, no matter if I'm having a bad day, uh, no matter if, if the enemy is approaching me in such a way that I feel like I'm being destroyed, no matter what, he cannot take my salvation from me. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. But he certainly can oppress me. He can make me feel discouraged. He can make me feel depressed. But I want to remind you, as I reminded you a few moments ago, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Uh, We have, excuse the, the expression, we have the power. We have God the Father to take care of all of that. So Satan indirectly destroyed Adam and Eve spiritually by deceiving them into eating the forbidden fruit. And Satan has not changed. He's still in the deceiving business. He still wants to deceive us if we're not cautious. He has awesome power to fulfill his diabolical plans. But unlike God, he is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient nor omnipotent. We talked about those three terms last week, meaning that he is everywhere omnipresent. Uh, He will not leave us nor forsake us. He is everywhere that we could possibly be. Where was God at 9-11? He was in the towers, because I believe there were people that are saved that were in the towers. He was there. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. He knows everything about everything. He knows what I'm going to have for dinner tomorrow, right? He's omniscient. And then he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, meaning he's more powerful than the enemy, more powerful than anything in this world. And so he is uh, yet reminds you that the enemy is also very powerful, and we must respect that. Listen, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but even uh, Michael the archangel, when he was fighting with uh, the enemy over uh, Moses' body in the book of Jude, uh, realized and recognized how powerful the enemy really was. And so it's important that as Christians that we understand that that the enemy is very, very powerful. He's very deceitful, and we have to be very cautious of him. Here it is. Jude tells us about a confrontation between the archangel Michael and the devil as they disputed over the body of Moses. Michael is the most powerful of all angels. However, even he didn't treat Satan's power frivolously. Instead, in Jude chapter, there's only one chapter, Jude chapter 1 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, what did he say? Lord rebuke thee. 
Even the most powerful angel recognized the power of Satan. And so what did the angel do? He said, I'm giving this over to the Lord. By the way, that's exactly what we're supposed to do as Christians. Whenever the enemy is attacking us, whenever we're literally in a battle with him, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to say, I'm going to let the Lord rebuke you. I'm gonna, I love the, the thought process. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, it is a, it is a true fact of what we should be doing. This incident is not mentioned any other place in the Bible, so we have no details. The point is that in spite of his angelic power, even the archangel Michael refused to take on Satan. You know, many times in our lives we think we can handle circumstances and situations. And, and this is what we do. We, we weigh them out. We say, you know, this isn't uh, uh, too difficult of a decision. I think I'll make this one on my own. You ever done that? Go to a car lot. You better be praying before you get there, while you're there, and before you go home. And before you get in the car, amen? Yeah, and after you get home, that's right. Um, you know, we think sometimes that we've got this. That this decision that I'm going to make right here, this, I don't need to talk to God about this one. No way. This is an easy one. Listen, and then the enemy creeps in and he says, well, let me just show you how easy it really is. Right? And that's what we have to be cautious of. In everything that we do, we give it to the Lord. Using Michael's example, we should have a healthy respect for Satan's tremendous power to deceive and to destroy. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to attack or confront the devil. Instead, James chapter 4, verse number 7, says this about dealing with the enemy. He says, first of all, submit yourselves therefore to God. And then he says, what's the next word? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. This is the most misquoted verse, I believe, in all the Bible. We always start after the comma. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Can I tell you, just like any uh, college course that you take, there is a prerequisite in this verse. The prerequisite is this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, I could be living my life in sin and in total rebellion to God, and the enemy jumps up and starts attacking me, and I go, resist the devil, and he'll flee from me. No, he's not. You know why? Because I haven't done the first part. I haven't submitted myself to God. I haven't submitted my whole being to God. What does that mean, Pastor? What does it mean to, to submit ourselves, therefore, to God? That means literally to give your whole heart and your whole life to him withholding nothing back. That's what it is. It, it, it's a reminiscence of another place in the word of God, in Ephesians chapter number 5, where it says that wives should submit unto their own husbands. That word submit, we, we sometimes as men get it out of whack. We, we think that that means that we have the ability to tell them what they should do, how they should do, and when they should do it. That is not what the word submit means. The word submit means is that we give ourselves completely to our spouse. And then we decide and we begin to make decisions together with one another. Certainly there's biblical authority about the head of the home. There is no doubt about that. However, it's important that we understand that we are to submit ourselves, give ourselves totally to God. Then we can resist the devil and he will flee from you. We do this by standing steadfast in our faith. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 9. 
The devil tries to get us to doubt, to, to disregard, and to disobey God's word. Uh, when he tries to get us to retreat from the truth of God's word, we must stand firm in our faith. We must stand firm in our faith. Listen, the, you should know why you believe what you believe. Right? I'm a Christian because somebody told me I was. Right? I believe what I believe because the preacher told me so. No, 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 no. If you're going to stand firm in what you know, then you have to know it. You, you have to understand the word of God and to be able to stand firm in your faith. Because the enemy is going to try his best to make you doubt. He's going to try his best to make you question whether or not the word of God is true. And whether or not your faith is real. Now, I'm going to be real with you for a moment. You don't have to admit it, but let's talk about it for a moment. How many of you have ever thought after you were saved, you were sitting in your home one night, or maybe you were sitting out to dinner, and you ever doubted your salvation? Let's be honest. How many of you have doubted your salvation? You know what that is? That's the enemy trying to take away your faith in God. That's what it is. If he can get you to doubt your salvation, he can get you to doubt everything about Christianity. Right? How many of you have ever feared dying? Come on, be honest. Let's be honest. Fear death. In a dark room, it's storming outside. My kids are not in their room sleeping, I can promise you. I went from a two-person king-size bed to a five-person king-size bed. With tears, you know, everybody's crying. What are you, why are you crying? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And what time I am afraid, I will, there it is, trust in me. Do you know why my kids come running and jump up on my bed? Because they trust my wife and I that we will protect them. Fear is the greatest emotion that the enemy plays upon. The enemy will get into our lives and make us... I, I've met people that literally their whole life is surrounded by fear. Fear will destroy you if you're not cautious. Fear, fear will cripple you if you're not careful. It's important that we understand the, the literal, the, literally the vials of the enemy that he is trying to get into us. Because he's doing nothing but trying to get us to retreat from our faith, to retreat from the truth of the word of God. We have no reason to fear. Uh, o death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I could go on and on and on. But those are the truths that we have to stand firm in. I fear tomorrow. I fear the news. I fear the things that are happening. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. That's what we have in the word of God. The spirit who wants to destroy us is most often called Satan. He is referred to by his name more than 50 times in the Bible. The name Satan means adversary. He is the adversary of God and God's people. First Peter chapter number 5 it says, be sober, be vigilant, because you're what? Adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may what? Devour. And I'm telling you, he's successful. 
He's successful at devouring. And so we have to stand strong. We cannot allow the enemy to devour us. Satan's second most common name in the Bible is the devil, which is only used in the New Testament, and it's only used about 35 times. The name translates a Greek word, which is diabolos. Um, That means slanderer or accuser. One of Satan's primary missions on this earth is to slander God and his people. You know, uh, especially amongst young people, you hear this, excuse me, you will hear this a lot. They'll say, somebody said something against me. They, 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 they spread a rumor about me um, and, and, and they come home uh, from school or they come home from their place of work or whatever and, and they're very upset because they feel like that they have been slandered or they've been accused of something that's not right. Can I tell you, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to destroy our reputation And he wants to destroy our testimony. There's something that I've realized in my life. It's this. It takes a lifetime to gain a testimony. It takes less than a second to lose it. Are you with me? It takes a lifetime to gain a testimony. It takes a second to lose it. And it almost takes two lifetimes to get it back. That's why it's so important that we stand true and stand firm. And that's why it's so important, and and I want to be cautious in my statement here, but I think it's very important for us, even as adults, to understand that it's so important as as adults that we are transparent in our lives. You know, we always want our children to be transparent. They walk in from from the house or from a night out, and the first thing we do is, let me see your phone. And we start reading text messages and we start looking at other things and we try to make sure, are they transparent? Are they, are they doing the things that they should be doing? Maybe I'm the only one that does that. I'll just tell them myself. I don't know. But you know what? You should be transparent too. We should have nothing to hide. Because the bottom line is, is that that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to expose our weaknesses And what we have to do is we have to give them to God because he is the slanderer and the accuser. This is why gossip is such a horrible sin. If we listen to Satan, he would try to get us to gossip and to slander about other people. However, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will not allow any unwholesome words to come out of our mouth. Instead, we will claim Ephesians chapter 429 of how we can know that we are filled with the Spirit and how we should speak. Ephesians 429, let know what? Corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of, I think I talked about edifying on Sunday, didn't I? Has to do with friendships. To the use of edifying that it may what? Minister grace unto the hearers. Uh, excuse the, the southern talk here for a moment, but here it comes. If you don't have something nice to say, Don't say anything at all. That's right. My daddy used to tell me that all the time. And you know what? I think that's even more true of an adult than it is of a child. Are you with me? Listen, uh, um, we have this tendency to run with the most, um, excuse the term, juicy news that we can possibly run with. And tell everyone about it. 
Can I tell you something? That if it is not going to help someone, we probably shouldn't say it. The other thing I know about gossip is that 98% of it is untrue. If you come to my office and you say, Pastor, so-and-so did this to me. There's a couple people in this room that can testify what happens next. I say, let me hit the speakerphone and pick up the phone and let's call them. Because let's find out the truth. We we don't don't need the enemy destroying our church. Are you with me? And he will do that through gossip and slander. That's what he'll do. And we have to be so cautious of that. We have to say, no, first of all, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to walk away. And that's okay, too, by the way. Just walk away. But then if you don't walk away, it's time to go find the truth. Don't, don't, don't spread falseness. That's what the enemy wants to do. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Who is Satan? He is the adversary of all that is holy and good. He is also the slander of God and God's people. Number two, and I've got to hurry. Where did, where did Satan originate? Where did he come from, Pastor? Many of you probably in your mind right now have an idea. You understand about the fall of the enemy. But if anybody ever asked you this question, would you be able to show them? Would you be able to tell them, um, this is how I know what I know? Well, my prayer is, is that before you go home tonight, you'll feel knowledgeable in this subject to be able to tell people the truth about the origination of the enemy. Since God is the creator of all things, we find that in John chapter 1 and verse number 3, uh, and John chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning was God. Um, Colossians chapter 1, he is the creator of all things. God created the being who became Satan. Because God is holy and righteous, he cannot create anything evil. How is that possible, Pastor? God created him, but God can't create anything evil. That, that seems to contradict itself. Well, let's Look a little further. Originally, God created the human race in his what? His own image. God created them in, or God created Adam in their image. That's what the Bible says. However, when Adam chose to disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit, he fell into what? Sin, taking the entire human race with him. So when Adam fell into sin... Uh, by default, guess what we are? Sinners. That's a hard word to say, I know. We are sinners. Thankfully tonight, if we're saved, we are sinners saved by what? Grace, that's right. But Adam took the whole human race with him when he disobeyed. Like Adam and Eve, Satan was created with the freedom of choice. Originally, he was an angel in heaven. He was perhaps the archangel, as many people uh, contemplate that, who led a rebellion against God and was cast out. So, do you believe that every human person has a free will? Okay. I can tell you what to do, but you decide to do with it what I tell you, right? Right? We all have a free will. We, we were born that way. If God would have made us all robots, it might would have been a little bit easier. All right? 
but he didn't. He wanted us to all have a free will. That's why not everyone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal savior, because we have a free will. You choose whether to accept or whether to reject. Well, originally, an angel in heaven uh, was given that same freedom of choice. And the enemy, uh, Satan, was perhaps the archangel who led a rebellion against God and was cast out. Isaiah chapter number 14. I want you to take your Bibles there, if you will. Isaiah chapter number 14. We're going to look at this together. Isaiah chapter number 14. It's going to take me as much time to get there as it is you. Isaiah chapter number 14. These verses will not be on the screen. It's good every once in a while to feel that Bible in your hands. Amen. Isaiah chapter number 14. And uh, we're going to look at verse number 12. And we're going to read two verses there. Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 12. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O who? Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which does weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Here it is. I will be like the most high. Now, what was the enemy, what was Satan, the, the, the angel at this point, attempting to do? He was attempting to be like God. There is only one God. One. O-N-E. There are many lowercase G-O-D-S's, but there is only one capital G-O-D. And the enemy, Satan, wanted nothing more than to rise to the throne. He wanted to exalt himself. That's why the Bible says that pride goeth before a... Oh, that's right. It works together. You see, that's exactly what the enemy did. He, he had the pride. He said, you know what? I, I'm going to lift myself up. But the Bible says, if I be lifted up, speaking of Christ, then what? All men will be drawn unto me. It's all about lifting him up. And the enemy was trying to lift himself up. By the way, that's what the enemy tries to get us to do. He tries to get us to puff ourselves up. Look what I did. Look how great I am. You know, you ever felt that way? Come on, let's just be honest. You know, pat myself on the back for a minute. I'm good. No, I'm only who I am because of who he is and by his grace. I am nothing without him. You can also read in Ezekiel chapter 28. Um, these are talking about the kings. This is a very controversial passage of scripture among even, amongst even conservatives. Um, uh, conservative uh, um, scholars uh, about whether this is talking about uh, the enemy himself um, because of the kings that it's referring to. But I personally believe that this is another account of uh, the enemy falling from heaven. So these are references that examine the fall of Satan in the Old Testament. Though we don't have many details, some things about his fall are clear. Satan fell, first of all, in his rebellion. 
His fall second of all, or his fall second of all, was immediate and dramatic because he was no match for God. After the joyous reports of the 72 witnesses, Luke chapter number 10 describes the scene. Here it is. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Verse 18. Or excuse me, uh, that was verse 17 and 18. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It was an immediate and drastic fall that Satan had. When Satan decided that he was going to try to overtake God, God immediately banned him from heaven. It was an immediate fall. And, and by the way, there was joy over that. Why was there joy? Because the rest of the angels that did not fall, and we'll talk about some that did, but the rest of the angels did not fall, realized that they were in submission to God. And that's the happiest time of their life. By the way, that's the same way it is for us as Christians. We are the happiest in our life when we are being submissive to God, when we are following his leading. I think this refers to Jesus as seeing Satan's original fall from heaven, as well as the victories of the 72 over Satan's followers or demons. Satan's fall from heaven was as fast as lightning, and so will be his defeat in any battle with God. Listen, when, when the enemy is fighting against us, all we have to do is call upon the Lord, and the Lord will take care of it. I mean, we studied the book of Revelation all the way through, and we saw that the ultimate end of the enemy is what? The lake of fire. The lake of fire. That's where he's going to end up. And, and because he has no power over God. Angels are often called stars in the Bible. The Bible tells us the dragon or Satan used his tail to sweep a third of the stars out of the sky and throw them to the earth. We studied that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 4. What does that mean? Well, this suggests that when Satan was cast out of heaven, a third of the angels fell with him. So what does that tell me? That tells me he has quite an army. Are you with me? Tells me that he has quite an army. And therefore, because he has quite an army, we have even more need to be reliant upon God. Because he does have an army. Jude informs us that some of these fallen angels did not stay within the limits of their authority, but abandoned their own positions. Therefore, God is confining them with eternal... Uh, uh, any, uh, Sorry, that's not worded right. God is confining them eternally in darkness until the day of judgment. And we remember, if you remember in the book of uh, Revelation, we learned that the demons were released, remember? Like, uh, like locusts, the Bible says. And uh, this is part of them that are being held captive as we speak, but are going to be released. And so when Satan fell from heaven, he took the third of the angels with him. And they all went by choice, by the way. And they followed him as the enemy. Some fallen angels or demons are active among us. Others are so evil uh, that they keep, chained, keep them chained in darkness until the judgment. Unlike God, Satan is not omnipresent. I want you to understand that, okay? Everybody, if you've tuned me out for a minute, let me get you for a second. The enemy is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at one time. There is only one person that's omnipresent, and that's God. However, he has myriads of mercenary demons strategically through, uh, located throughout our world to influence individuals and governments. 
That's why 1 John 5, 19 says this. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in what? Wickedness. But again, let me remind you that nothing, because of the sovereignty of God, nothing happens to us that the enemy puts on us without God's approval. God has to approve it. You say, Pastor, you really think that God would approve this situation in my life? You think he really would allow this to happen? That's the testing of God. That's God putting you to a test. And again, we go back to the book of Job and we say, testing is a reality in Scripture and in our lives. The Bible says in 1 Peter, Think it not strange, the fiery trials which are to try you, for as much as you know that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. When we go through trials in our lives, we are partaking of the suffering of Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you what the first part of that verse says. And we know that we are of God. We are of God. We have answered the questions, who is Satan and where does Satan originate? Thirdly, what does he do? And this will be the last thought for the evening. What does he do? Having already examined his names, we know he is an adversary, a slanderer, an accuser. Therefore, he tries to prevent God's will from being done in us and through us on earth. Paul describes this activity in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. He says, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but, what's the next word? Satan did what? Hindered us. Wow. That's a magnificent thought. That there are times in our lives where literally we have a plan, but the enemy could hinder us. He could take us off course. It's important to know that he is active in our world and in our lives. And he's especially active the more that we attempt to serve the Lord. The more that we give our hearts to Christ, the more that we live for him. So what does that tell us? That tells us that it, there's, there's, the Bible says that, um, um, that the Lord will open uh, literally the portals of heaven and pour out the blessings to those that love him and are serving him. But also understand that the enemy will open up his darts to those that are serving. And so, but also understand, again, that God is the one that's in control and he is the one that has the victory. Because Satan is God's adversary, he will try to stop us from doing anything for God. That is why problems come our way when we start living for God. I often talk to people that give their heart and their life to Christ and they'll say, Pastor, now everything is going to be okay. Eternally it will be. You understand that? Eternally it will be okay. Temporarily, there will be struggles. There will be trials. Because the truth is, is that eternally, I live forever. And I live in perfection. And I live with God in the house of God, doing the things of God. So, when I say that the victory is the Lord's, may I remind you that victory is the Lord's here on earth. When we receive a victory, it's temporary. But our eternal victory is heaven. 
And so as we live our lives, don't live in defeat because we are not in defeat. We live in victory, not because of this world, but because of the next. So that's why problems come our way when we start living for God. He tries to stop us from accomplishing God's will by living up to his name, the devil, which means slander or accuser. He seeks to cause others to misunderstand us and slander our Christian life and our Christian walk. He wants nothing more than to ruin our testimony. He wants nothing more than to tear us down. Therefore, unsaved family members and associates will accuse us of being hypocrites because we go to church. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites? It's full of a bunch of backsliders? Well, can I tell you the truth? If you find one that's not, please don't invite me. I'm liable to mess it up. Right? Are you with me? I'm flesh just like anybody else is. And I can tell you this also. Anyone can find a good excuse not to come to church. Anybody can find a good excuse not to uh, worship the Lord. I get it. And, and, and unsaved family members and associates. I remember uh, we have a family reunion every year. And, and I have a, my, my mom and dad are Christians. And many of our family members are Christians. But there are certain of our family that are not. And I remember coming home from a family reunion... After or, or going to a family reunion, after being on staff here for a year, I drove down to Florida. We did a quick trip and came right back. And I remember being at this family reunion, and uh, one of the men that were there walked up to me, and this is what he said. Are you still pretending to be a preacher? Now, I'm not a fighter. But on that day, I was very close. But I looked back at him, and this is what I said in the most loving and kind way that I could. Are you still pretending that you're not under conviction? Because if you're going to call me out for what I do, then it must bother you. Right? Are you with me? You see, they'll call us out. But may I remind you that we must be ready to defend. I could have got mad and walked away and said, you know what, that's the end of that and I'm never talking to you again. I could have done that. But what would I have accomplished? Absolutely nothing. But when I rebuttaled him and said that statement to him, you ever seen anybody turn white? I mean, like, really white? I mean, like, bedsheet white? That was serious. I'll never forget what he said to me. This is what he said. He said, you know, Lee, he said, There's, I, I've been through church and I've seen the things that go on in church. And he said, how could you want to be a part of something like that? And I looked back at him and I said, it's better than being a part of the same people that you hang out with and drink with and smoke with and go out and do whatever it is that you do with I said because this is what I know if you think I'm wrong you can think that but you have everything to lose I said but if I get to the end of my life and you're right I've lost nothing
I put my arm around him. His name's Mike. And I put my arm around him. I said, Mike, I said, I want you to turn around. I want you to look at this family back here. I said, we've been praying for you for a long time. I said, and what I see in you is not that you want to tell me what I'm doing wrong, but rather you're looking for someone to tell you what's right. And I said, let's sit down and talk. Can I tell you that there's something that I've learned in my life? Is that the people that are closest to us are the hardest people to talk to about the Lord. Are you with me? I, I, meet me somebody at the minute market and I'll tell you all about Jesus. Sit me down with my mom and dad and we're just going to talk about golf. Right? Let's be real with each other for a minute. You know why they call us hypocrites? Because we don't stand up and talk about what we believe. We don't say that we are Christians. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He gets in and he quiets us. And that's why it's important that we stand firm. I wish I had more time. Others will accuse us of thinking we are better than they are, are acting holier than thou, and we refuse to go along with sin. Listen, it's not a holier-than-thou attitude. It is a submission to God is exactly what it is. To discredit our Christian witness, they will also look for every opportunity to accuse us of doing something unchristian. They're watching us. However, we should not blame them. You see, they are honestly deceived by the devil or slanderer. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's blinding them. You know, I've told you this before. Uh, I've given you the illustration about the young man who was at home. And he left home and he went and he went to the corner and he turned left. He went to the next corner and he turned left again. He went to the next corner and he turned left again. And when he got home, there were two people waiting on him. The first question is, is why did he leave home? And the second question is, who are the two people waiting on him? If you've not heard me say that illustration, you're confused. I'll give it to you again. There was a young man. He left home. He went up to the corner, turned left, went up to the corner and turned left again, went up to the corner and turned left again. When he got home, there were two people waiting on him. First question is, is why did he ever leave home? And who are the two people? What I've just done, if you've not heard that illustration before, is I have literally brainwashed you. We could leave tonight and you'd go home and you'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go, who in the world is he talking about? And I'd get a phone call at 2 in the morning saying, I'm mad at you. I can't go to sleep until you tell me why he left home and who those two people were. But when I draw you the picture, it becomes so much easier. And this is the problem with, with false religion. And this is the problem with the enemy. They give us the picture, but they never explain it. They never tell us the final outcome. Some of you can't even listen to me right now because you're thinking so hard about it. <laughs> Let me draw you the picture. There was a man that left home. He went up to the corner, and he turned left. He went up to the corner, and he turned left. He went up to the corner, and he turned left. When he got home, there were two people waiting on him. Why did he leave home? See, so he hit a home run. Who was waiting for him? The catcher and the umpire. You know what we just did? We revealed it to you. 
You see, can I tell you something? Only those that will tell the truth will reveal it. Everyone else will disguise it and leave you confused. It's so important that we know the truth. Why? Because just like just a moment ago, and some of you are laughing about it, you've got all kind of answers in your mind. You know what just happened? You got set free. And the truth shall set you free, and you will be free indeed. This is why we shouldn't get mad at those who slander us and make accusations against us. Instead, we should pray for God to open their eyes so that they can see the truth of the gospel. As I already mentioned, Satan is like a roaring lion, 1 Peter chapter number 5, wanting to devour us. He roars in our lives to create fear. And we've talked about this just a few moments ago. Fear is one of Satan's most effective spiritual weapons. Before we become believers, he wants us to fear what family and friends might think if we accept him as our savior. After we become Christian, he roars to get us to fear sharing our faith and following God's will for our lives. However, even though Satan is the second most powerful being in the universe, we do not have to fear him because of 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You might want to write that verse down. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. The Holy Spirit who is God and dwells us, he will enable us to resist Satan, his acquaintances, and his influence through false teachers. There is a spirit who wants to destroy you. His name is Satan. To resist Satan, you must know the answer to those three questions. Who he is, where did he originate, and what does he do? I pray tonight that we've answered those questions for you. And I pray tonight that you understand, first of all, how powerful God is. And secondly, how powerful the enemy is. But there's no way that he will ever be more powerful than God. Any questions tonight? By the way, uh, just as we did with the book of Revelation, I'm getting caught up right now, but as um, we did with the book of Revelation, all of these lessons will be online just in case you miss one, also in our app as well. And uh, hopefully we'll be caught up here by uh, the end of next week and uh, get all of that back up and running. So if you miss one, um, as well as the outlines and the messages will be on our website as well as our app. All right, let's pray together and we'll be on our way. Father, we love you. Thank you tonight for the word of God. Lord, I pray that we will stand fast in our faith. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us, that you will strengthen us. Lord, that you will help us in our journey together as we understand that you are the greatest God and the uh, most powerful being uh, of the universe. And Lord, that you created all things And that all things are under your subjection. And so, God, we pray that you'll help us and that you'll encourage us as we overcome the enemy every day of our lives. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful rest of your evening.